told that um, Nikki was in a car accident on the way to church today. She's okay, but uh, she was on her way here, and because of the extensive damage to her car, uh, she's going to have to wait to get that wait to get that towed. So just keep her in mind in prayer. Understand that she she was okay. I don't have details, but she was okay. Her car is not. So let's pray for her. Yes, just pray. Let's take a moment and pray for her. Father, we pray for your servant, uh, Nikki, for her right now. We don't know exactly what her needs are, but we know that you do know. That you not only know you're able to care for and to provide for. Pray for those who are trying to see about her now, that you would give them a sense of your wisdom and comfort to know what's needed for the moment and to um, allow themselves to be used for your glory to assist and help her whatever area that may be needed In jesus name we pray amen all right so we know that several will be kind of working to see what what mickey might need and, and helping out while they're doing that let's just keep them in prayer as we just did and let's continue to worship and serve the lord here um, Hosea chapter 5, I want to look at one verse there. I mentioned that I would leave a topic for us to discuss on Wednesday because we wouldn't have little ones here to deal with a mature topic. And so Hosea, the whole theme of Hosea kind of introduces a mature topic. It, it, it talks about um, unfaithfulness in a marriage, um, and I often wonder how uh, parents of young children, how they explain that to, to children. And uh, the Bible uses this term of whore quite often in Hosea. And, uh, you know, we don't like talking about that, but it's a reality. And it, it's, a, it's a reality that introduces a spiritual reality that needs to be talked about in that regard. And so it's unfaithfulness in the marriage um, and so in Hosea 5, verse 3, he says, I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. And so this, as difficult as it may be to talk about, especially in, the, in a mixed group, mixed meaning group of, of, of adults and uh, children or, or teenagers who are not yet adults, um, they don't understand unfaithfulness and what that, what that means in a real sense. And uh, they can certainly understand what it means relational-wise. Um, mommy and daddy aren't getting along. They may not know the reason and the cause for that. But the Bible uses in Hosea this vivid illustration of relationships. And a couple things I want to mention that it reminds us of. It reminds us that God is interested in intimate relationship with his people. Okay? And that there is a covenant or committed and promised relationship between God and his people that he has a expectation of us and from us 
that we are his own. We belong to him. And we belong to him in what I would call a personal, intimate, exclusive relationship on God's terms. Now, I've used those terms specifically because they mean a lot. Personal, intimate, exclusive relationship on God's terms. This defines our relationship with us as people or individuals, human beings, elected human beings, who've been brought into right relationship with God our Father. We have a personal, intimate, uh, exclusive relationship on God's terms. It is personal. It is not a, a formal relationship of nation to God. It is God to individual. It is down to each individual. Um, it is intimate. One of the things that this talk in Hosea reminds us is that God is interested in our intimate lives, in the int most intimate parts of our lives. Part of the problems we have with people, with believers, and relating with believers is too often people want to act like, my life is my business, and it's not your business. Or I'm not accountable to you, you meaning church and God's people. I don't have to answer to you. I don't have to tell you about what's going on in my own personal life. And that's not true. That is not the way God has it connected. Not only is God interested in our, the intimate details of our lives, but one of the first questions that came up with Adam and Eve, excuse me, came up with Cain and Abel, descendants of Adam and Eve, is Cain asked the question, am I my brother's keeper? In other words, don't be asking me about him. I ain't got nothing to do with him. And God, God's uh, implied response is, you certainly are, and I'm holding you accountable for your brother. There's an intimate relationship that we have with God, which brings us into an intimate relationship with each other. What do I mean by intimate? It, I mean by that, and, and God will show us that we are vitally connected together. In, in today's day of, of, of communication, um, um, technology and innovation, we can have church and we can do a lot of things that are not face-to-face, -face, but God would still have us to relate face-to-face -face and person-to-person. -person. Same thing with couples. That's what makes a real couple. And you might have time when you have to deal with a long-distance relationship for a short period of time, but the real relationship is done face-to-face. -face. How many times have I heard people say, well, you know, um, I used to have so many problems with so-and-so, but now that, 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 that we aren't together, things are so easy now. Things are so much, there's so much, uh, he's easier to get along with. She's easier to get along with. Well, duh. When you don't have to deal with everyday things, you don't have to deal with the details of life, yeah, it's very easy to, it's much easier to get along with a person. God is interested in our intimate lives 
and we are responsible to him for those intimate, those intimate details of our lives and responsible to each other. Now, that doesn't mean that we're to be private detectives in each other's lives and, and going around and, and, and snooping. The Bible, especially the New Testament, talks a lot about that, that, um, that that's not an okay thing to do. That's not what God had in mind when he connected us together. But there is a healthy connection that we are to have together. Again, Hosea, the book of Hosea, brings this out in that God relates what's wrong with him and his people as a marriage relationship that has gone wrong and that the wife has no longer been faithful to her faithful husband as Israel has no longer been faithful to its faithful God. What is it about this personal, intimate, exclusive relationship with God on God's terms? Why, why do I, I, I use those specific terms? When the Bible talks about Hosea as Israel playing the whore, you know, we don't have to ask questions. I think we understand what that means. But I would challenge you to think about what that means. And this is a question I didn't want to ask when children were here, but what, what is a whore? What, what, what does that mean? And as I think about that, is, is someone who uh, wants to and has free sex with anybody or free sex with everybody, I started thinking about that. Well, ask myself, what's the question? What's the, what's the difference between a person who, usually we think of a whore as a person who has um, loose, um, is loose sexually, does not have sexual um, boundaries and proper fences in their sexual lives. What are those proper fences? And I thought about it. Most people have some fences and boundaries, even, even people who are, are, are very loose morally. Uh, a prostitute has fences and guidelines in who she's going to be connected with. And usually that's by money, right? You don't pay the money, you don't get the service. So she has a certain boundary as to who uh, uh, she's connected. Even, even a person that's con considered a, a whorish person has connection or has boundaries and limitations as to who um, they're connected with. And it's usually on their own terms. They simply connect with whoever they want to at that particular time, and, and it's on their terms. Because you ask the question, well, can, can anybody do that? No, not just anybody. Whoever they deem to be okay um, to do that. So the point is, is that these individuals are operating on their own terms. What does God expect from his people? What does God expect from a marriage, uh, a husband and wife in a marriage? What makes that a right relationship is that these people are connected in God, on God's terms. It is through marriage that they enjoy this sexual relationship. And marriage is something that is God's terms. It's so much God's terms that our society is trying to, they're not, you know, in the 60s when, 
when, when, when I was growing up, we had what we called the, the free sex age. We had the hippies and, and everybody was, was they, they wanted to loosen all the morals and all the, all the uh, terms and definitions of how people should relate to each other. Um, and so that, that, was, that was the thing that, that they were pushing um, at that time. But society today, we're not just interested in doing what we want sexually. Society today is interested in having a stamp of approval on what we choose to do. And that's why marriage is so much a part of uh, the homosexual agenda, is to, to get marriage, get the stamp of approval of government on this relationship. It's not good enough for us to just do our own thing on our own. I remember in the 90s, uh, under President Clinton, they had a military policy of, you know, don't ask, don't tell. Many of you remember that, that verb is being used. So do your own thing, but just keep it private kind of idea. But now it's not only that, do your own thing, but hey, bring it out in the open and demand that the government puts its stamp of approval and call you a married couple. Uh, we have that same thing going on in, in our... Um, in, 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 in so many other ways, in his, in his gender, uh, gender um, roles and, and all of that, we want a approval body to put a stamp of approval on what we do. So it's not just do as you please, but get approval, formal approval from that. And so we see society going um, in that way. Why is this significant and important? God wants relationship with individuals. He wants it to be personal, intimate, exclusive, and on his terms. And um, the idea of marriage and the idea of sex, whether within a marriage, really highlights what that means and, and, and why it's significant and why it's important. I mentioned personal, I meant intimate. Exclusive means one-on-one. -on -one. God is saying that you do not get into heaven unless you have relationship with him, not your mother, not your father, not what church you go to, not what job or what you're connected with, but you yourself have personal relationship with God and an exclusive relationship. We saw in Hosea chapter 5, God says, I know the sin of my people, but they don't know me. They're not connected to me. They're not related to me. There's no exclusive relationship of one-on-one. -on -one. And that is absolutely required by God if we're going to um, have, if we're going to come into heaven, if we're going to come into his blessing, is to be exclusively connected. And then it has to be on his terms. What Israel was doing, and, and the reason why God uses this um, this imagery of an unfaithful spouse is because Israel was saying, I will have relationship with God and I will have relationship uh, with other gods that I choose of the nations around me as I please. I'm going to do them both to together. And God was saying, no, that's not acceptable. It's me or nobody. And he says, I demand an exclusive people because I will be exclusive to them and they will be exclusive to me. There's a lot more to talk about in that I'm probably 
we uh, get a chance to mix some of that in later. Um, our sexual lives speak of our connection and commitment to God. And our sexual lives need to come under God's terms. We don't just do as we please in our lives. It is on God's terms and his terms only. And in fact, that's just a picture of our spiritual lives in connection with God. It is personal. It is intimate. It is God's terms. He will have no other way. So we don't define it as we please. So many people today are saying, I connect to God as I please. If I want to come to church, I will. If I want to read my Bible, I will. If I want to be connected with God's people, I will. If I don't, eh, I'm still okay. That's not God's terms. That's not God's terms. God says, you will come to me in my terms. I will be related exclusively, personally, intimately with you on my terms. None else. Father, we thank you for the challenge to give, even in our personal relationships, how they remind us of our connection with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And saints, for our meditation, we'll be going through, continuing through the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> if you recall, we're going through I guess you can say the book of Hebrews, it has different major sections in it. The first major section started in chapter 1 and continued all the way to the part when he started to rebuke the reader, which is, you know, something no other book would ever do. No other book would just jump out and just rebuke you while you was reading it, because you wouldn't get a, you wouldn't be a bestseller if you did that, would you? But <laughs> that's what the Bible does. So the book of Hebrews, it rebukes you. So you got chapter 6, chapter 5, and chapter 6 about that. But then chapter 7 is the start of a new thing. And it's this focus on Jesus' high priesthood and how that relates to the law. One of the things that I like about the book of Hebrews is that it starts to teach us how we should relate to the Old Testament and what was the point of the Old Testament. So now we get into chapter 8. We start to see um, a little bit more revealed about the role of Christ. So let's read together. Um, we'll read all of chapter 8 today. Now the point of what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tents that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect a tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he meditates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, 
declares the Lord, when I would establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. He speaks some very powerful things in this chapter. We meditate on that. The first thing that he talks about is how the high priest is set up by God. It's appointed by God, right? And that's one thing that's interesting. And one thing that we can have a hard time with um, because we have, I think in many ways, we have misinterpreted why Israel had kings and why they had priesthood and why they didn't elect kings and elect priests and elect prophets. And the reasons they did that is because they believed wholeheartedly in the sovereignty of God. They believed that God would choose. They didn't believe in the wisdom of men. See, the reason we have democracy is because we believe in the wisdom of men. We believe that the group, the mass of people cannot be so silly as to elect somebody that will be terrible for their own good. Now we know from past practice that that's not always the case. But generally speaking, that's why we have democracy. It's based on the principle that out of many counselors, there is wisdom. That a whole bunch of people will not all arrive at a stupid conclusion. But the Bible doesn't rely on that. It talks about the priesthood being selected by God. And so when you think about it, when the priest died, who would choose who the next priest would be? Nobody. His son was the next priest. Who would determine whether he was good or bad? God. Who was going to be the next king? The son of the king before him. And so we start to understand a little bit about biblical sonship right biblical sonship the son always carries on the work of the father it's almost as if the father has failed by dying so his son must continue the work of the father that's also a biblical principle right only the bible would consider death to be a failure why because men are not really created to die were they they were created to live and so we see Christ is created, and what happens with him, when he reigns as priest, he continues to work perfectly. There is no failure. There is no loss of knowledge. Right? If somebody gets really good at their job, and they're perfect as they can be at their job, at some point they'll have to retire, but not Christ. He never has to retire. He never gets old. He never gets feeble. On top of that, when you had a priest, he did two things. He gave gifts to the people and he gave sacrifices for their sins. And so the writer says, well, 
Christ also has to do that. Just like the role of a priest is to give gifts and sacrifices, so Christ has to do the same thing. And what kind of gift does he give? Well, what did Christ say when I go into heaven, who's going to come? The Holy Spirit is going to come. What gifts did he give? Well, the gift that he gave was the Holy Spirit. Right? Think of what we see in that second quotation there. It starts in verse 8 and it goes all the way through verse 12. What kind of promises do we have in this section that will be for the new covenant? Speak to me. What, what promises do we see here? Yep, what's in that new covenant? Everybody knows the Lord. Okay, a gift of life. Okay, okay, but look in this verse specifically. What do we see in there? Put my law in their hearts. You won't remember their sins anymore. Nobody will say, know the Lord, because they all know the Lord. Nobody will have to teach his brother, because they will all be teachers. The thought is this, that innately in each person in that new covenant, they'll already know God. They'll already be taught by God. They will already have a personal relationship with God. That wasn't the case in Israel, right? There were unsaved Jews. In fact, there was many unsaved Jews. The implication is that everybody who didn't make it into the promised land was unsaved. Maybe not all of them, but the implication was a lot of them were unsaved. The implication was that a lot of them, even though they had God standing right there next to them, refused to believe. And the second covenant is saying this, is not made and without the ability to do what God has called you to do. In this second covenant, not only are we given God's law, we're given the ability to keep God's law. And that's a whole different and better covenant. We can go into depth and more when we talk about the copy in the shadow. What is a copy in the shadow? That's talking about how in the Old Testament, what they did was they made a copy of what God was already doing in heaven, right? But Jesus doesn't is not a copy. He's the real. Just like the lamb is a picture of what Christ does for us, Jesus actually did it. We don't need a picture. We still have pictures nowadays, right? We talk about this in our catechism. We got two really big pictures, baptism and communion. When we get to heaven, we won't have baptism or communion anymore. We'll just go to the house of Jesus and eat with him. We won't need to be baptized because we'll all be clean. In fact, I don't even know that we'll have to even sit down and pray. Because we'll just talk and God will answer be a different world it's going to be a better covenant 
And the thing about it is, when you look at the covenant of God, it's not fulfilled until when? Like the song said, till we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Right? What a great day that'll be. That's what our souls call out for. That's where the second covenant is ratified. And we say, yes, Lord. So we look forward to that. That should be our meditation. That's what we look forward to. That's why we want a pure, undefiled religion don't we? We don't want to just waste our time just mixing different things into our worship like the people in Hosea's day were doing. How are we doing? Um, so I want to just keep focusing on um, prayer for our police officers. Um, so what I want to do is just have two people pray today. Uh, one person focused mainly on Jeremy and his safety and his family. And then uh, somebody else focused on just the other police officers as well. Um, obviously, they don't have a good job. I mean, they're not liked. It's a hard job. They see a lot of bad things. Um, so it's a difficult job. Um, but just uh, it's a needed job. My house was broken into a few years ago. I needed them. <laughs> so, um, you know, so we'll just do that. Uh, we'll have, who wants to volunteer to pray for Jeremy? Dang, nobody? That was like the longest pause. Thanks, Jamar. And then, <laughs> and then um, who wants to pray for the police as a whole? Right, Beverly. And then I'll close this up. Lord, we just um, lift up the police officers in our city and worldwide in the wake of this shooting that happened um, last week. We just continue to put the people that you have put in place to be our law and our protection. And we just ask that you um, continue to um, just use them in a just way. Um, stir their hearts to act in a way that's according um, of a police officer, but also just keep their protection as they put their lives on the line on a daily basis. We look at um, those officers who are your people, who are Christians, who profess faith to you. We ask that you continue to use them um, in um, the people that they encounter and with the people that they work with, that they can just continue to be a, a witness and a testimony for you. As sometimes these people are in very hard times or dealing with very hard things to see or encounter um, and sometimes they just need to know um, that you are a God that is in control and um, we ask that you be with Jeremy and his family continue to just um, keep your hand of protection on